It's time to talk about Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. And now, here's Ira. The restaurant industry on the Las Vegas Strip, downtown, and in surrounding neighborhoods faces challenges with competition, costs, and, of course, the coronavirus. Let's take a look at the issues with my guest, Las Vegas Review-Journal feature writer and food critic Heidi Naprinella. Heidi is an award-winning journalist with more than 35 years of experience as a writer and editor at newspapers in Ohio, Florida, and here in Nevada. And she's author of seven books. For everything about Heidi, go to ReviewJournal.com, and you can follow her on Twitter at HKRinella. Heidi, welcome to the show. Oh, welcome back Thanks, to the Ira. show. Yeah, Thanks. welcome back to the show is what I really should say. Thanks, Ira. It's good to be here again. It's a pleasure. I, it's unusual times, Heidi, which is why I wanted to have you on, because mm-hmm. among other things, you obviously covered the dining beat, and it has been taking a battering, as other elements of Las Vegas have. It's really a scary time right now, um, Ira, and it's, and it's sad. It's depressing. I mean, I have literally... Not recently, but a couple months ago when the whole thing was starting, I've actually talked to one or two restaurant owners who broke into tears when I was talking to them because it's just, they just don't know what's going to happen. And then there was a lot of optimism. I, I saw their spirits change immediately when the reopening was announced. And even though they only had a day and a half notice, which for most of them was not enough time to get their staffs back in and supplies and everything else, some of them even, you know, even went ahead and did it just because they were so happy to be able to reopen. Because, you know, restaurants, yeah, it's a business, but it's also about the social thing. You know, they, they know their customers. They, they like people, you know, and so they miss all that, I think. So it's, it's scary from a financial standpoint, but it's also really, you know, it's sad from a social standpoint. No doubt about and it. That, the lack of connections between right. the restaurant people and their customers is, is just not right. there. Exactly. And now we're kind of in really uncharted waters. My editor and I were talking the other day. It's like waiting for the other shoe to drop. We just don't know if we're going to... People criticize Governor Sisolak and say that he just follows what Gavin Newsom does. But, you know, we're kind of inextricably tied to Southern California. A lot of our visitors come from there. A lot of people from here vacation there, you know, and and it's kind of like our... We're kind of like a suburb of, of Southern California. So I can understand why he might follow the directive of the California officials. And now that they've once again closed indoor dining in, in much of the state, you know, you kind of wonder, is it going to happen here? And Lord, I hope not, but it's, it's very scary. Are there any successful models for restaurants in this situation? What I mean by that yeah. is mm-hmm. there are, I know particularly small restaurants are more nimble than chains, et cetera. Correct. So for right. example, Rooster Boy, the chef there, when it, everything closed down, she still provided food, but it was not just curbside, but she became almost as a grocer as opposed to right. just a dining-in restaurant situation. Right. That's what um, all the national experts are saying, that people have to be able to pivot. There is a model, I won't name the specific business, but one pizza, local pizza place, the owner told me that even in the, in the height of things, he told me that they were doing about 90% of business because... You know, you think about it, even though they didn't have dine-in, it's easy to get pizza and pasta to go, and it's a natural thing. So they were still doing a lot of, of their business, and so they were faring a lot better than a lot of people. But others have had to be a lot more 
innovative and come up with things like, like you said, like the grocery that Sonia is doing over at Rooster Bar. And, Rooster um, Boy. Rooster Boy, I'm sorry. <laughs> I and things like that, you know, um, and an emphasis on takeout and, and delivery. And, and they just, you know, and anybody, people that don't normally have outdoor dining do outdoor dining because that, that's still open. That's still going to be available, even if they close indoor dining. So, you know, maybe they didn't have a patio, but maybe they can throw up a few umbrella tables and, and you know, do something to, to try to stay in business. Do you think that it's easier for these smaller operations to succeed or to adapt than it is for the larger chains or the restaurants that are in hotels and casinos? Well, the hotels and casinos are kind of a whole different animal because there's so many factors. For the non-casino places, I would say they both have their advantages and disadvantages because for a small place, you know, if you're a single owner of one or two places, you can decide, okay, you may make the decisions yourself. You're not relying on anybody else. But on the other hand, it might be harder for you to get supplies. It might be harder for you to get your, your crew back. And, you know, more than one restaurant owner told me that the $600 a week federal subsidy, that between that and unemployment, a lot of their people were making more than they normally made, like their dishwashers, their you know, some of their people that don't work for tips right. and they weren't going to come back as long as they were getting that money. And, you know, you see people talk about that nationally and you think, oh, sure, but it's true. It really was true. But obviously it's short term in the sense that people are short sighted in that. Yes, they're making more now right. than they would normally, but that's not going to last forever. Right. That exactly. Particular and that's model. what they try, you know, right. And that's very clear. Yeah. That's, that's, not... a, that's a tough road to hoe. Uh, do you find that, and this is kind of an odd question, I think, in one way, but you'll understand where it's coming from. Are there particular, you mentioned pizza. So for example, that's not overly ethnic, but are there ethnic specialty food places or restaurant places that, not restaurant places, restaurants that are more successful during the coronavirus situation than more generic restaurants or food outlets? Well, I would imagine that Chinese restaurants, for example, and some of the other Asian restaurants, because again, there's everybody gets Chinese takeout. You know, that's kind of a normal thing under any circumstances. Right. So with this situation, you don't think twice about getting it. Now, you know, a fine dining place, you're not going to want to order takeout from Piero's. You know, I mean. <laughs> All right. I understand what just, you're saying. It's not the yeah. same. You're not going you're not going to recreate the experience. You're just going to get the food and. It, exactly. It, you know. And I'm going to talk to you. Really about, what it comes yeah, I'm going to talk. I'm going to talk to you a little bit more about that aspect of it too, but I would think that, for example, you mentioned Chinese food, that Chinese food is also a comfort food or it's more a, yes. uh, not only a comfort food, but it's a reminder of stability in a way because yes. you always have Chinese it's food. It's normal. It's like we've always yes. gotten Chinese takeout, so let's yes. Chinese takeout. Yes, yes, exactly. Same with pizza. Mm-hmm. Yes. So maybe- but the restaurants in Chinatown were among the hardest hit because- that they don't really rely that much on takeout. They rely on the Asian tours coming in. They rely on dine-in and, oh, those poor people. I mean, immediately, even before the shutdown, one restaurant owner told me that he was down 75%, down 75% of business. Yeah, that's a high percentage. And without any kind of rent help, you know, it's it's just awful. From your perspective and your experience, Heidi, do you see that once this thing gets to a certain baseline, I'll call it that way, because I don't know if we'll mm-hmm. ever get back to 
completely right. normal, but the new normal, I guess, is the better term. Once we get to this new normal and it's sustained for a while, do you mm -hmm. see the industry in general, whether it's on the Strip, whether it's downtown, whether it's in surrounding areas of Las Vegas, do you see it getting back to a reasonable percentage of the level that it was at before this all started? I think eventually, I feel right now very much like I felt when we were in the Great Recession. When I was reviewing restaurants, I never went to a restaurant without calling to make sure they were going to be open that evening because places were going out of business on a moment's notice. They were cutting their schedules. They were, you know, doing things like that. It was very, very sad. And then we had gotten to a point within the last couple of years before this all happened where our I couldn't even keep up with the places that were opening. There were so many. It was, you know, it was continual. Like, not even that we couldn't get to them all, but we couldn't even take note of them all. I mean, there were just so many, and it was so fast. And it was wonderful. It was, it was great to see that, that vibrance. And now, you know, everybody keeps saying, well, what's going to happen? I have no idea how many people are going to be able to stay in business. My editor was saying, what about the celebrity chef restaurants on the Strip? The thing about the restaurants on the Strip is, and the casinos is that they... There's so many different business models. I mean, I would, couldn't even number any. There's some that rent the space. There's plenty that are subsidized. There's, you know, there's some that just their name is licensed. I mean, there's just so many variations. And whether, whether that'll, you know, be able, I don't know how many will be able to ride out the storm. We saw Lagasse Stadium is closing. That didn't really surprise me because when, when it opened, when he took over from the, the Jay-Z operation, it seemed like an odd fit for Emeril. I mean, he's, he just doesn't strike me as a sports bar kind of chef. And it always seemed like an odd fit to me. And it was a nice place and seemed to do well, but I'm not privy to anything. I haven't talked to Emeril, but I just kind of wonder if they just thought, you know, this is, this is a good time for us to just kind of cut yeah, it, you know. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know, but that may not be the case. And it may have been the Venetian's decision. You, you just don't know um, because the casinos are famous for not wanting to disclose any information. So we have no idea who's staying, who's coming, who's, you know, who's going, who's, who's going to survive and who's not. Have you taken an informal survey of both the celebrity chefs and or many of the local chefs to get their opinion about what they see coming down the road in the next couple of months? Yeah, I, you know, I talked to him a lot. And one thing is, I was kind of disappointed about the rent, uh, the lack of rent, sub, you know, rent um, protection. And because that's what is killing a lot of them. And it's just like when we went into the Great Recession, because times were booming, some of these restaurants were paying horrendously high rents. Like, I, I know at one place in Henderson, I'm, I remember them telling me they were paying 30000 a month in rent. And, you know, you have to sell an awful lot of food to, to cover that. And then when the bottom drops out, there's no way you can meet that, that rent payment. And some of the more astute landlords are, are saying, you know, I'm going to ride it out with you because hoping that you're going to be able to reopen in a few months is better than having an, an empty space for the next year. But... Some of them are not. You know, a lot of them are saying, no, I, I still want that rent. And if they have no income coming in or if they're down to like 50% or 20% or 10% of what they normally do, there's just no way they can stay open. 
Well, from so a, I think that's a big part of it. There has to be yeah. some kind of protection. For I was thinking about that. What you were talking about in te- in the sense of uh, a, an agreement for the future when you sign a lease with a right. restaurant signs a lease with a landlord that maybe there is a clause in there that indicates, hey, if the bottom falls out or there's yeah. a coronavirus or some major yeah. catastrophe happens, you know, we're not going to hang around or we're not going to be able to make this nut uh, with that you. Would be, that would be very, very smart, but I don't know how many landlords would agree to that. So Right, right. Again, and, it depends how smart they are because, you know, I knew somebody who had a shop in Henderson and she just closed it down and the place was empty for a year. And she didn't even want free rent. She just wanted him to cut the rent. And this was during the recession. It wasn't now. And he refused. And so she said, all right, I'm out of here. And she left town. And that space was empty for a year. So, you know, he would have been better off getting half the rent from her than nothing. Yeah, exactly. It's interesting to watch the mentality of some landlords when they, again, it's it's not if it's just a small situation within your mini mall or your restaurant building. It's more if there's a major economic situation that has caused this, you right. as a landlord, I would, I agree with you. Right. I think that to be smart, you go, you know what? I'd rather have half than nothing. Right. And I get the landlords are saying, well, we have to make our mortgage payments, but a lot of the banks are, are trying to work with people. So they need to go to their bank and say, Hey, you know, I, we have to work something out here. Right. Exactly. I don't know. And I don't know how realistic that is, but it is not realistic to expect restaurants to be able to pay their regular rent when this kind of thing is going on. Right. Let's take a break. My guest, Las Vegas Review Journal feature writer and food critic Heidi Napronella. For everything about Heidi, go to ReviewJournal.com and you can follow her on Twitter at HKRanella. We'll be right back. We'll be back with more Talk About Las Vegas with Ira in just a moment. You think you know Vegas? But how much do you really know about this neon city? See the dark side of the bright lights at the Ma Museum where you can explore how a tough little town transformed into a gaming metropolis with a little help from organized crime. You won't find these stories of lawbreakers and law enforcement, mob bosses and prosecutors anywhere else. The Ma Museum in downtown Las Vegas. More information at themobmuseum.org. Now, let's get back to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Welcome back. I'm talking with Las Vegas Review Journal feature writer and food critic Heidi Napronella. For everything about Heidi, go to ReviewJournal.com and you can follow her on Twitter at HKRanella. Heidi, when you look at the landscape, and I know there's no way to predict what's going to happen, but we did talk a little bit earlier about the popularity or enduring popularity of Chinese food, pizza, mm-hmm. those kind of basic comfort foods and normal yeah. foods, quote unquote, <laughs> that people are used to and give them a sense that everything's okay. That I agree with you. I think that that will continue and they'll make that work. Are there other foods or other kinds of restaurants that you think will succeed in the near future? I think restaurants that have strong followings and that are innovative and that can kind of pivot. One thing that comes to mind is Nora's. He tried to keep going with takeout and delivery and things like that. And then when they were allowed to reopen, he did something that I thought was brilliant. He had dividers built to fit between his table. But instead of just making them clear or putting, you know, or making them relatively attractive, he had photos of the inside of the restaurant applied to them. Big, you know, big like murals. So in other words, 
if your view is blocked of that wall that has the art on it that you would normally see, that's on the divider. That's oh, I see. So from a perspective point of view, depending on where you're sitting, you're going right. to get the view you would get if that wasn't up. Exactly. Uh, and great so idea. Great idea. So, I thought so. And the divider becomes much less obtrusive. And from what I had, I haven't talked to him lately, but from what I had heard, his regulars were just so happy to be back. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing that I think helps restaurants is if you have strong, regular clientele. Because people miss, again, people miss that social interaction. They miss, you know, not just the food, but being able to go out and being able to talk to other people. And, and you can still talk with a mask on. And also, I think the fact you have a strong chef or chef owner who can make it happen, as opposed right. to someone that looks at it and goes, there's no way I can function in right. this environment. And yeah. under normal circumstances, you would understand that a chef as an artist that says, I need to have this, I need to have that. But right. you, as you say, you have to pivot and say, okay, this is where we are. How am, how am I right. going to make this work? And I've seen a lot of chefs who have said, okay, you know, I'm not going to be able to get, because they're having a hard time getting some supplies, obviously, some, some of their products. And so they have to say, you know, okay, I'm going to change my menu. Like another example of that is Todd's Unique Dining, which is in um, Henderson. He's the former chef of the Sterling Brunch at... Bally's. Bally's, yeah. And he's had experience with large and small, and he's had his own restaurant here for probably 15 years at least, I think. And he has a very strong local following regulars that come in. And I noticed, one of my editors likes to go there, and I noticed during the shutdown, Todd was doing takeout. And because he usually does fine dining, he changed his takeout. It wasn't at the same level. It wasn't at the same price. And it wasn't, you know, well, he wasn't doing cheeseburgers, but it wasn't, it was things that travel better. It was things that would, you know, you could take home and, and still, you know, if it was 15 minutes after you got up in the restaurant, it wasn't going to be just dis- destroyed. You know, it was going to be awful. Right. Um, and I saw on the, the one thing I was going to say was I saw on his website, he would say, okay, this is what I think we're going to have today or tomorrow, but I may not be able to get something. So, you know, I mean, and he was, and he was very flexible and he was very nimble and he was able to pivot and make changes, you know, on the fly. And I think people who have that ability are, are going to be much more suited and, you know, much more able to, to weather the storm. I also think that it's important for the customer to be able to pivot and adapt. As an ex- I agree. Yeah, as an example, taking off with just what you said, if the chef tells me that the lobster that I wanted is not available, but there's cod, well, right. I'm, I'm not going to go crazy and, and right. say, well, I, I need that lobster. No, I'll take the cod because right. it's a substitution. It's, that's how right. the law of supply and demand works. Same I noticed when you order groceries, if you have them delivered, just the fact that we can get them delivered if you want them right. delivered, that's a major right. plus. So if they're out of X, Y, and Z, so you do A, B, and C, so you substitute. Yeah. We're not talking about a major crisis where there's no food at all. So you Exactly. Yeah, we get, unfortunately, and, we get very spoiled and entitled, and we didn't go through the Depression or World War II, so any little minor inconvenience we seem to get all crazy about. That's so true. Another restaurant owner told me that he had customers, okay, he's, He's a restaurant that normally has a lot of walk-ins, regulars, but they didn't call for reservations. I'm not even sure if he took reservations. Okay, so when they were allowed to reopen, they were told that they had to take reservations. And I don't know if they're all still doing it or not, but at any rate, they have to limit capacity. And so that's why they were taking reservations so they could 
kind of space out when people were coming in and to be able to deal with the reduced capacity. Well, he told me that he had people who normally would walk in who were just furious. They couldn't walk in anymore. And just screaming at him saying, well, what's wrong with you? Why can't I, you know? And it was like, things are not the same as they were. And he also was having problems. He was limiting tables to, I think, six people. And if people had larger parties, he would say, okay, well, you can take like two tables. But then they would come in and they would push it together. So people just have to get it. Yes. And that, it makes it really hard answer. for the restaurant owner. And plus, you know, the whole thing with having to police the masks is just, you know, I feel so sorry for business owners that have anybody coming in and screaming at them about wearing a mask, you know, or pulling a gun on them or something, which has happened in some places. It's just crazy. We're required to do this, folks. You're required to have a driver's license. You're required to have car insurance. You're required to not drink and drive. So why is this an issue? And unfortunately, restaurant owners and other business owners have to become enforcement arms of the government yes. to protect yes. their own business licenses. Yes. And that's so, the sad thing because right. they could lose their license. Yeah, And exactly. so even if they don't want to enforce it, they have to. Right. And, and it would be easier, Heidi, if people just took a step back and realized what these people are going through and therefore exactly. cut them some slack. You know, that's what exactly. I'm, I'm saying. Learn to be, a, learn to pivot yourself as a customer, a potential exactly. customer. Yeah. Yes. But, but they don't do it. I no. want to also ask you about the importance of, in today's food world, and today's dining world, how important is social media from the restaurant point of view? And I, I don't mean reviews on Yelp. I'm talking about using Instagram, as Sonia right. uses for Rooster Boy, or using Facebook or using their own website in order to let people know what's available, what's not available, what the new rules are, et cetera. It's amazing to me. Instagram, okay, well, Facebook comes in handy for restaurants because they can update it daily if they need to or, or hourly if they wanted to. So they may not be able to update their websites as quickly, but they can go on Facebook and say, okay, here's what's going on, you know. And so that, I think, is very handy. And Twitter kind of works the same way. The one that really cracks me up is Instagram. I remember Hubert Keller telling me that, you know, he remembers when people were not allowed to take pictures in restaurants. And now, if you told somebody they couldn't take a picture, you know, it would be the end of the world. Oh, yeah, it'd be World War III because uh, exactly. they feel entitled to do that. And they're going to take a picture of that dish and post it immediately. And I have noticed that pretty much every restaurant that's opening these days, and we're going down to the smallest mom and pops, the most simple little places, most of them are planning their decor or part of their decor with Instagram in mind. They have like a place where people can pose for a photo, you know, or they just have, I mean, it's it's definitely a requirement now to have something <laughs> where people can have their picture taken in your, in your restaurant. I think a new market niche would be a restaurant that prohibits any cameras at any time and becomes <laughs> yeah. very mysterious and secretive and all of a sudden becomes very popular because of that. <laughs> so Absolutely, like the dark one, that, like that dark Yes, yeah, on. exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you can take pictures there. <laughs> that's great. What do you recommend, and I'll put you on the spot on this, what's your favorite restaurant that's been here forever and what's your favorite restaurant that's relatively new? Well, okay, first I'm going to tell you about a coffee shop that just opened. Great. So it's a restaurant, but sort of, but it's mostly a coffee shop, but it's called Take it easy. And it's from the people behind Makers and Finders. But it's kind of more laid back and everything. But they have created some really innovative coffee and tea drinks. And I was very impressed. I mean, you go into a lot of new coffee shops, you know, 
the same lattes and everything else, you know, and that everybody else has. But they have really gone beyond anything that anybody else is doing. There's a tea drink that they have an oversized pomegranate ice cube. And then the tea, it's like black tea and there's some other things in it. So it's nice and tart from that pomegranate. But then as the ice cube melts, the flavor changes. So it's just fascinating. And then he's got a coffee drink that's named for the Kentucky Derby. I think it's called Somewhere in Kentucky. And it's actually got mint in it. And I tried that one because I was just like coffee with mint, you know, and there's some other things in it, a lot of other things in it. And I tried it and it was so good and it was so refreshing, you know, and, and these are like designed for summer. So they're perfect for now. So that's, that's the kind of thing that I think is, is just really cool. Interesting. Um, the old school restaurants, I like Piero's and Pomplamoose and the Golden Steer and, and also the Pepper Mill. I always take people to Pepper Mill, especially the lounge, you know, for a drink because the lounge is just so out there. But, you know, I've talked to the owners of, all three of them. And I just, well, I think Golden Steer has reopened on a limited basis, but Pomplamoose and Piero's, they said, you know, without conventions, without people in town, they just didn't really see a point in reopening it before like fall. So if they're in a position where they can write it out, then they're, they're just going to go ahead and do that, which is it's sad. And I hope they're going to be able to do it. And I, I think they are, but, and then, oh, new places. There's so many new places. And, you know, I worry about the new places. I just don't know how many are, are going to be able to, because, you know, they didn't plan for this at all. And opening requires a lot of capital. It and does. I don't know if, I really don't know how many are going to be able to make it. Are you overly optimistic or overly pessimistic? I'd say right now I'm somewhere in the middle. I'm hopeful. What is the expression people use, cautiously optimistic? Right. I'm hopeful. I don't know what's going to happen. If we have another shutdown of indoor dining, I think it's going to be the death knell for a lot of restaurants. I really do. Okay. Well, I hope that doesn't happen. I, I do, too. Well, thank you. I, my guest has been Las Vegas Review-Journal feature writer and food critic Heidi Naprinella. For everything about Heidi, go to ReviewJournal.com. You can read all her articles there, and you can follow her on Twitter at HKRanella. Heidi, thanks for being on the show. Thanks so much for having me, Ira. See you next time. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. Everything you want us to do.